Today's scripture is from Genesis 29, verses 1 through 14. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in a field with three flocks of sheep lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked him, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. Well, good morning. Way to go, Broncos, huh? Just had to throw that out. <laughs> Couldn't figure out how to fit it in the sermon, so... <laughs> One of my great joys as a pastor is doing premarital counseling. It's so fun to sit down with a couple that's in love. They're in that honeymoon stage. As you know, it doesn't last forever, but for them, it's all there is. And they're so excited, and I love hearing the story of their romance and how they met and how they fell in love, how he asked her to marry him, and how all of that worked out. It's it's just a delightful time to see that joy and that romance and, and all. And one of the things that strikes me is you can always see how God's hand has been at work, whether they're aware of it or not, in bringing them together and in working in their lives and getting them to that place of being ready to be married. Well, in this passage today, we get to see how Jacob meets his bride. He heads off to find his relatives. He's sent off by his mother and father, Isaac and Rebekah, to go find a spouse. And he goes, and even though in this passage, in all 30 verses we'll be looking at, God's name is not mentioned once, yet you can see God's hand at work all the way through. Because God is involved in our lives, whether we are aware of it or not. He's there. He's working out his will and his plan providing, giving us good gifts, caring for us, loving us. And, and yet, even though that's happening and God provides for Jacob, there's a lot that Jacob has to learn. And we'll see in this chapter and in chapters to come how much God is working to teach Jacob to trust him and trust him alone. Jacob, as we'll see, 
puts his hope not so much in God, the giver of the gift, but in the gift itself. Unfortunately, that's something we all do. God blesses us. He loves to give, but when he blesses us, what tends to happen is we put our hope in that gift rather than in the giver himself. So how does God respond when we do that? Well, we'll see that in this passage, and it will show us God's actions towards Jacob and how Jacob responds so that we can hopefully learn how to trust in God first rather than in the gift. So let's begin with prayer. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word that is so real. Thank you for people like Jacob in the scriptures that are just like us. And Lord, as we look at this passage, may your word have power through your spirit to reveal to us more about ourselves so we might trust you more. But most importantly, may this passage reveal more about you so we might trust you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, in this section, Isaac and Rebekah have sent Jacob off. Go find a wife. Don't marry one of these Hittite women, but go find one of our relatives. So he takes off, he heads out, and he really doesn't know where he is, but he shows up at a well. And at that well, he asks, hey, where, are, you know, where am I? Well, you're Haran and... He says, well, do you know Laban? And they say, yes. Laban is his uncle, his mother's brother, Rebecca's brother, Laban. And they say, oh, yeah, we know him. In fact, there's his daughter coming right now. Rachel shows up. Now, that obviously is providential. God is at work and allows him to meet his relatives right at this well where he shows up, and, and he's so excited about it. He sees Rachel, and as we see a little further on in the text, he is so excited because she is gorgeous. That he is supernaturally empowered to move the rock off the well. You know, the others are saying, these shepherds are saying, hey, we can't move the rock till everybody's gathered. We need more muscle. <laughs> and Jacob is thinking, hey, would you guys just move the rock, water your sheep, and get out of here because I want to hang out with her by myself. (laughs) And they say, oh, no, we can't do that. So he moves the rock by himself, supernaturally. God empowers him. God gives him the strength. Again, you see God's hand working all through this situation. And he waters the flock and he meets Rachel and it's a wonderful, wonderful time and a wonderful provision for him. Something very interesting is that Jacob at this point is 77 years old. Now, he lived much longer than we tend to live, and so that wasn't that unusual, but it's still not young. But when the time is right, God provides for him, leads him to the family that he needs to meet to find his spouse. It's a reminder, I think, to all of us that God is a gracious giver. He loves to give. He loves to bless us with good gifts with maybe a spouse, friendships. He takes care of us financially. He gives us great beauty in this incredible state of Idaho to enjoy the mountains, the hills, the sunrise. And for those of you who never see the sunrise, the sunsets. He gives us incredible gifts to enjoy, and he wants us to respond with thankfulness. 
We should live in constant thankfulness. That's why it's one of the major commands throughout Scripture over and over again. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. Because we're responding to a God who is a God who loves to give. And I want to talk more about that in a moment, but I want to give a little aside here. Jacob is a single man looking for a spouse. Now, let me say something about singleness in the body of Christ. It's hard to be single in the body of Christ. We, we so exalt families, marriage, rightfully so, that singles can often feel like something must be wrong with them. They're incomplete if they don't have a spouse. What if you don't have one? Singles often feel incomplete and they're often treated that way. We look at singles who are content in their singleness and we think something must be wrong with them. How can you be content? Or if they long to be married, we somehow think they're incomplete and we try to maybe match, do matchmaking with them, which often doesn't help a whole lot. <laughs> uh, they struggle with loneliness. They feel incomplete. They feel out of place. They're not sure how to fit in to all the programs we have that are for families and kids and all that. They, they just tend to feel out of place. And I just think we need to be aware of that in the body of Christ. We need to reach out to the singles and understand that it's very difficult for them to know how to fit in. No matter what age they are. One thing we're doing this year, which I really appreciate and I hope in your growth groups it's going well, but we decided not to have separate young adult and single Bible studies, but we've incorporated the singles into the growth groups, into the Bible studies. And I think that's a wonderful thing. We need to learn to love one another better, but I would imagine that's created some tension. And I would just want to encourage you, if you're married and you have singles in your group, to, to really understand them, reach out with understanding and incorporate them, make them feel part of you and part of your family and invite them into your family and just make them feel especially part of the body of Christ. And if you're a single in one of those groups, be courageous to share your life and be understanding of what the families are going through and learn to love one another. I just think it's important that we are understanding of one another. And But I want to speak specifically to the singles for just a moment. What if you long to be married and God hasn't provided a spouse for you? Jacob got a spouse, as we'll see. Maybe not the one he wanted. And it, well, he got that one too, but... Uh, <laughs> We'll see. But God provided for him. What if you feel like God hasn't provided for you as a single? That can be a hard place to be. And all I, I just want to say a couple of things. One is, God is the provider. He knows the needs of your heart. Keep trusting him. Keep praying. Keep seeking him. Don't let go of him. But trust him to be the provider for your heart and your soul. But that doesn't mean, secondly, that you just sit at home and never make efforts to engage in 
social situations where you can get to know other singles. The first few words of this passage, though it's not translated this way in, in English, in the Hebrew it's very clearly, Jacob lifted his feet and went to Haran. For Jacob to find a spouse, he had to lift his feet. He had to go. He had to make effort. He had to go on a journey. And God, through that, provided. So let me encourage you, if you're single, that it does take effort on your part. You need to do what you can to put yourself in situations where you can get to know other Christian singles. God has called you to do that, I believe. That's how he provides through us stepping out to be in social situations. Now, Jacob went to a well. All throughout the scriptures, the well was a primary place where people would meet, men and women would meet, and find the one that they were to marry. You see, in those days, if you were a shepherd, you were out by yourself with the sheep until you came together where the well was and you would wait till everyone got there, and that was your social time. That's how you got to know other people. That's how you spent time. That's how you caught up on the latest gossip. That was the place you would go. And that's where Jacob goes. He makes that effort. So how do we do that today? We don't have a well to gather at. It's very difficult for singles, Christian singles, to meet other Christian singles. I think there's essentially three ways. There's probably more. But one is natural social relationships at school, class, maybe at work. But if you don't have those, how do you find other singles so that you learn to build relationships with them? What are some other ways to do that? Well, a good way is singles groups at church. As I said, we're incorporating our singles in our growth groups, so we don't have singles groups, but other churches do. Maybe you need to go to a singles group at another church if you're having a hard time meeting other Christian singles, if your heart is longing to be married. And third is internet dating. (laughs) It's strange for us older folks because that just seems weird to us, okay? But eHarmony, started by a professor at Fuller Seminary. Um, I mean, there's a, a number of things like that where you can meet somebody, and I know many people, I've married several who have met that way, and and it's been a tremendous blessing. It's just hard in our culture to know how to meet other Christian singles, and that can be a way to do it. But the bottom line is step out, lift your feet to build relationships with other Christians, find a place to do that, a way to do that, and then trust God to provide. Learn to be a person who loves other people well, and God will provide. So God gives graciously. He allows Jacob to meet the family of his future bride and meets Rachel at the well, and he falls head over heels in love. It's a wonderful thing. Tremendous romance. But it gets Jacob into some trouble. (laughs) Let me read, starting in verse 13 to verse 20. So when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he related to Laban all these things. So Jacob told his story to Laban. Laban said to him, Surely you're my bone and my flesh. Hey, you're family. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you're my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? 
Tell me, what shall your wages be? Jacob has obviously been working for that month for Laban, putting out a lot of effort. He says, hey, what do you want your wages to be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. So Jacob falls head over heels for Rachel and wants to marry her. But he has a problem. Laban, (laughs) her father. I don't know if you remember Laban. Laban back in chapter 24 when Abraham had sent his servant off to find a spouse for his son Isaac. And the servant showed up and he met Laban. And Laban, it very clearly in that passage says, is a greedy man. He's a man who sees this servant with ten camels and all the riches and the jewelry and everything. And he thinks, aha, here's a way for me to get ahead. Well, that's how we met him in chapter 24. And now we see him the same way. In fact, Dr. Bruce Waltke in his commentary says, Laban is cunning, deceptive, heartless, greedy, and ambitious. He must have been disappointed when Jacob showed up because Jacob had nothing. He'd run away and had left with nothing and he shows up at this well and he doesn't have ten camels. But that doesn't stop Laban from figuring out a way to get something out of this as much as he can. In that culture, if a relative showed up, it was your duty to provide for them. Not to put them to work, but to provide for them in a way that made sure you took care of them completely and got them back on their feet again if they were in trouble financially. But notice, Laban doesn't do that. He puts Jacob to work. And he says, oh, you know, you're... You're my bone and my flesh. You're a relative, but, you know, if you're going to work, you should have wages. That's essentially treating him as a slave, as an employee, which was essentially a slave in those days. (laughs) He doesn't even treat him like a relative. You get a sense that all Laban cares about is using other people to feed his own idol, which is money. He names his two daughters, Leah and Rachel, Remember, he's a shepherd. He raises livestock. What does he name his daughters? Leah means cow. Rachel means you, female sheep. So he names his daughters after his business, I think in hopes he'll get some money out of them as well. You just see this all through the text, that Laban's this greedy guy who's using his family and Jacob and everybody to get what he Wants. But Jacob is so in love with Rachel, he says, hey, I'll work seven years. The normal bride price was equivalent to about four years of labor. Usually he'd pay it at the beginning, but he didn't have anything. So he says, I'll work more than four years. I'll work seven years, almost double. And Laban goes, yeah, this is a good deal for me. Absolutely. You can work for 
my daughter. He doesn't specify which one because he has a plan. He has a plan. But what I want you to notice is here Jacob is one who, think about his life for a moment. What we know about Jacob up to this point. He was raised in a family where he was rejected by his father. He bonded with his mother in an unhealthy way. Remember uh, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So he bonded with his mother, but now he'd have to, had to leave her, would never see her again, had left with nothing in his hands. He was hated by his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him, forced to flee for his life. And think about in his heart what was important to him the love of a woman. He'd experienced that from his mother, and now he sees Rachel and he thinks, aha, here's life for me. But because Rachel becomes an idol to him, becomes more important to him than God, it gets him into trouble. That's a tendency for all of us, folks. God gives good gifts. He provides. He cares for us because he loves us. But what we tend to do is we put our hope, our trust, in the gift rather than the giver. And it gets us into trouble. That gift could be anything. It could be talents. It could be abilities. It could be another person. It could be almost anything. For us, it all depends on our backgrounds and our particular families and all kinds of things. But we all, all of us, And hear that very clearly. All of us have our idols. All of us have the things we put our trust in other than God. Could be pleasure or money like Laban. Could be success. Could be another person, a spouse, a child. Could be a job. Could be our abilities. Whatever God gives us, though, gets us in trouble. We put our hope in that instead of God. So how does God respond? Well, we see that in the next section. God disciplines us in his love. He disciplines us in his love. Verse 21 through 27, let me read that. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. Now he's worked his seven years, right? He's ready. It's gone fast, but he's ready to be married to Rachel. Give me my wife for my time is completed that I may go into her. Now, Jacob's clearly thinking Rachel, right? That's who he worked for. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. He got Jacob drunk. That's implied by the text. Now, in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob went into her. Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came about in the morning that, behold... It was Leah. Behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, It's not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. I want you to hear the scorn in those words. He knows Jacob's story. What did Jacob do? He was the younger son who deceived his older brother to get the blessing. 
Notice what Laban says. It's not the custom in our place (laughs) to put the younger above the older. That must have stuck like a knife in Jacob. He knew he was wrong. What, What could he say? What could he say? So Laban goes on, complete the work of the week of this one, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. Laban's got Jacob over a barrel, doesn't he? You want Rachel? Okay, you serve me another seven years. He's caught. Laban gets Jacob drunk and in the dark in the tent. Obviously didn't have electric lights. She's veiled. He ends up in the darkness with Leah, not his beloved Rachel. And he wakes up and looks over in the morning and behold, it was Leah. It had to be completely shocking. After seven years of work and all your hope into being married to Rachel. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Now, Laban could have said up front, right, seven years before, no, I can't marry off my younger daughter first. I've got to marry off the older. That's the way we do it around here. But, of course, he doesn't do that. He deceives him and gets him to work another seven years. I want you to notice, though, it looks like Laban's just got him over a barrel and Laban is in control of all this, isn't it? Doesn't it? But he's not. God is in control, not Laban. God is at work in this for Jacob's good. God knows exactly what he's doing and he's even, even working through the deceit of Laban to accomplish his purposes and to discipline Jacob for his own good. And one of the lessons I think he's hopefully about to learn is that you reap what you sow. If you live a life of deceit, you're going to be deceived by others easily. (laughs) Jacob was a heel grabber. He was a person who lived by deceit, and he gets easily deceived by Laban. When you grasp onto an idol, and you sow to that, you will reap what you sow. God's in control, not Laban. And this little phrase is powerful. (laughs) In the morning, behold, it was Leah. Heard a sermon by Tim Keller, Dr. Tim Keller, and he was speaking on this passage, and he said, for all of us, We have our own idols. We have our own things we trust in. But for all of us, in the morning, it's always Leah. It's always Leah. You think you're getting Rachel. The things we put our hope in, we think this will be life to me, this will provide for me, but sometime you will wake up and in the morning, it's always Leah. There is nothing that can satisfy our hearts other than God himself. And God in his grace disciplines us and makes sure that in the morning it's always Leah. That's the wonderful, fiery, 
relentless, pursuing love of God. He loves us enough to not let us be satisfied with anything less than himself. So he disciplines us so we learn to put him first and not the gift. I'll just share one of my idols that God's worked on a lot. I, I, always, pro, pro, I always prided myself at being very relational, being able to get along with anyone. I could do that. If I just worked hard enough, I could get along with anyone and got into ministry and had very few people that I couldn't get along with. And yet several situations happened over and over again with people that I could not please. You see, that had become an idol to me, pleasing others and getting on their good side. And it was a gift from God, but I was misusing it for my own ends. I need people to like me. And God, in His grace and His love and His relentless pursuit of my heart, has put me in relationships with a number of people that I could not get to like me. In fact, it's not too strong a word to say I've been hated by several in my life. And that was tremendously painful because we don't let go of our idols very easily. But I need it. I need it. I I need people to love me. I need my spouse to love me. I need to be successful. I need power. I need fill in the blank. But God in His grace pries our fingers off our idol. So we'll learn to trust Him and him alone, and I thank God that he does that, and he's doing that in my life. Because in the morning, it's always Lear. It's always Lear. Well, at the end of this passage, we see that God, despite all the mess and idolatry of Jacob's heart and Laban deceiving him and manipulation, God still fulfills his plan, and that's the wonderful truth, that we can trust in him because God will still fulfill his plan, his marvelous, wonderful plan for us and for his kingdom. Let me read verses 28 through 30. Jacob did so. He worked another seven years. He completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel, as her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban for another seven years. Let me just make a comment here about polygamy. Here, Jacob marries two sisters. Is that okay in Scripture? A number of the patriarchs, David and others, married more than one wife. Well, believe me, I wouldn't want to be married to two sisters. (laughs) Let me just say that. (laughs) And as the story goes on, you would agree with me. Lee and Rachel do not get along. But secondly, the testimony in Scripture, right from the beginning of creation, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be the two, not the three or four or five, the two shall become one flesh. That has always been God's design. Now, they bought into the culture where multiple marriage was a sign of power, but it's always in Scripture a sign of problems, too. (laughs) Understandably, right? (laughs) No, God does not 
support or want polygamy. He clearly wants one man, one woman. That's marriage. So Jacob gets Rachel after a week. He's got both wives now, but he has to work another seven years. But here's something very interesting as you go on in the story. He loves Rachel more than Leah, right? Poor Leah. But here's what God does. Rachel can't have children for quite a while. She finally does, then she dies in childbirth. Leah is the one who has more children, and eventually fourth child, fourth son, Judah, is the ancestor of Jesus Christ, the child of promise, the seed. Isn't that amazing? This rejected wife is the wife of promise, is the mother of the Messiah. She's the one who lives out her years with Jacob, not Rachel, because Rachel dies. God honors and blesses her and fulfills his plan despite Jacob's idolatry. God loves to work through those who are rejected by others. Do you feel forgotten? Do you feel rejected? God has not forgotten you. He is working on your behalf and on behalf of his plan. God fulfills his plans with or without our cooperation. It's a lot better to cooperate, though, and put him first and learn to trust him as a good God. Now, let me just make a comment here. Some of you may feel like Jacob or Leah here. You may feel like you've married the wrong person. You may feel like, yeah, I wanted to get married and I got married and this person, this has not turned out the way I thought and this can't be right. This can't be God, what God has for me. I must have married the wrong person. Jacob, by the way, found himself married to a woman named Cow. <laughs> Leah's a beautiful name, by the way. I love that name, but... <clears throat> <laughs> What we need to know is that God fulfills his purposes even through our wrong choices and that you are not married to the wrong person. God allowed it to happen because he has a bigger plan he's working out. You have struggles. God knew that. God's using it for good in your life, in the life of your spouse, and for his kingdom. He has a bigger plan So keep trusting him, keep depending on him, and learn to love your spouse with the love of Christ flowing through you. And just realize that the person you think you should be married to is probably an idol that would get you in big trouble if you were married to them. And in the morning it would still be Leah. So learn to obey God and love your spouse right where you are, knowing that God has a bigger plan. Well, God loves to bless us with good gifts. He does. He loves to bless us. But unfortunately, our hearts so often trust in the gift rather than the giver. But understand that God in his love will pursue your heart. And when you find 
that idol being unsatisfying, realize that's the love of God at work to wean you off your idol so that you will learn to trust him and him alone. Where are you today? Are you a Jacob pursuing an idol that will never satisfy? Are you a Laban who's manipulated your world to get what you think you need, money in his case? Are you a Leah who feels rejected by the world and by those you love? Whatever your state, God's word to you and to me today is trust me. Learn to rest in my love. Learn to let go of your idols and trust me with all that you are because I am the only one that can satisfy your heart. You were built for me, God says. So trust me with your heart. Let's pray. Lord, again, thank you for the reality of these people that are just like us. And the lessons that we learn, we see you at work in our lives. Open our eyes to see how you're working to draw us to yourself. Help us let go of the idols we tend to cling to and learn to trust you more fully with our hearts. We thank you for creating us for you. We thank you for loving us enough to pursue us and discipline us. May you use all that in our lives to trust you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.